Welcome to the clan! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. What is leverage? It's the strategic advantage. It's the power to act effectively. And we want you to gain that strategic advantage and power to make stuff happen. It's what you're going to need in the music business, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. People are not looking for potential. They're looking for a reputation. They're looking for what you've already done as a songwriter. They're looking for what you've already written. They're looking for what merch you've already sold, how many shows you've already done, how many streams you have. That They want proof social proof that other people like what you're doing and that you have value to your art. And then that's when you're going to get the management company. That's when you're going to get the pub deal. That's when you're going to get the, the uh, record label, the booking agency. They got to know that it's, that it's going to work. And I mean, the good news is you don't have to ask anybody's permission anymore. You just need leverage. That's why we called it the climb C L I M B creating leverage in the music business and Mr. Brent Baxter, my good friend and co-host came up with that, what we call a backronym. Mm-hmm. Brent is an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. And Brent helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how to write like a pro, do business like a pro. And not only that, on the regular basis, he actually connects you to the pros and gives you a shot at the bat there to make a relationship. You can find Brent at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. Daredevil has created over 25 national TV opportunities for their, get this, their indie artists. They've done this by making them discoverable, and they've also created multiple tour opportunities. And through the power of digital marketing data, they've attracted a number of investors for their artists. Investors are the money people, y'all. And investors like numbers because they know numbers don't lie because numbers can't talk. You can find Johnny at daredevilproduction.com. That's production, singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other Johnny D. Hello. What's happening, brother? How are you? Man, I'm good. I'm good. Good, good. You good? I'm just chilling. It's cool, man. It's cool. Uh, Today, we're going to learn about how to be a great artist 101 from the most unlikely source that you probably think I'm going to draw from. (laughs) Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of people think of this artist like Pee Wee Herman sometimes because of some of his antics back in the day. (laughs) Okay. I'm scared. No, I'm scared. (laughs) Yeah, we're going we're gonna to dive into an interview that just kind of blew my mind. My brother-in-law actually shot me the link. He's like, dude, you got to listen to this. It was crazy. Mm. It was a long interview. It was three hours long. Oh, wow. I, I was fascinated with it from the beginning. And uh, it was a Joe Rogan interview, like uh, interviewing this artist. And if you haven't seen any of Joe Rogan's stuff, it gets pretty cool, pretty deep. And he gets in there and has some real conversations, which is fun. And if you don't know who Joe Rogan is, it's, it's germane to the story here. I mean, Joe Rogan was a MMA fighter. He became the voice of MMA and helped really grow uh, that industry to, to be as big as it is. And he's also a comedian, which is weird. Mm. Right? So he'll go, that's my great day in drinking water on the side there, just in case <laughs> you didn't know. But before we get to it. doing this episode from the pool. That's right, from the side of the pool. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but before we get to that, let's take care of a little business here. The Climb Podcast is proud to partner with Disc Makers. They've been supporting indie musicians before indie music was even a thing. When you're ready to make CDs, DVDs, and 
some vinyl or distribute your music and videos with customized USBs, which is a cool kind of new way to market stuff. Uh, go to discmakers.com, D-I-S-C makers.com. It's the only place you need to go. And while you're there, you can click on the guides and resources tab and download some of their excellent free guides. They've just revised and expanded their home studio handbook, which has a ton of great advice and information for newbies and for studio veterans. You can find them online at www.discmakers.com or give them a call at 800-468-9353. That's 800-468-9353. There we go. If you haven't joined the Climb community, please do so. That's on Facebook. It's a killer community. If you've got songwriting questions, if you've got marketing questions, music promo, there's a bunch of people on there that are actively uh, sort of preaching the gospel that we're preaching and they're part of the mm-hmm. community and they're helping other people out. So I think lots of people get good answers there, some good feedback. Um, I love it when new people come in. There's just a whole plethora of people that come to welcome them i mean it's it's a warm cool hang man it is it's a good good spot to be that's right so uh subscribe to the podcast as well wherever you consume your podcast subscribe there make sure you get every single episode every single mini sode in order and you can jump around and get them as consume them as you like but it's all it's all put together for you leave a five-star rating and review take 30 seconds that way other people who are thinking about maybe dipping their toe in the water and listening to the climb are gonna uh, you're going to help influence that decision there. And then finally, the best compliment you could give Brent and I would be to to absolutely share it. If, if, if you're getting something out of even if it's just one episode that kind of touched you in some way that made connected a couple dots, you had the epiphany, the aha moment, then by all means, please shout it out to the world. Tell your friends, put it up on social media, let everybody know where to find it and why you thought that way. And, and that that helps us out a lot, right? That's right. And speaking of five-star reviews and sharing it, um, we have a new five-star review we're going to read. This is, the title is, Yes, That's My Problem. It's a five-star review by Tristan Lee Music. I've been seeing Tristan around either Songwriting Pro community, Instagram, Climb community, somewhere I've been seeing Tristan around. So thanks for dropping in. And let's see, it says, just listen to my first podcast today. Here's your problem. Hmm. Thanks to some awesome advice, I'm really working on discovering and developing my culture from here on out. So thank you, Tristan, for being part of the Climb Culture and for leaving that tasty five-star review. We're happy to be of service, and thanks for letting people know about it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's cool. cool. Yeah, I, I, uh, I Facebook stalked her a little bit. Like, uh, she had some comments or something going on. So like, what's going on with this girl here? And, and uh, she's, got, she's, she's a good singer. Cool. She's got some, some cool stuff going on. Yeah, she's working. She's at the All right. Her. So what are um, we working on today? How to be a great artist 101. And complete transparency, I have to give a disclaimer here. I am a huge fan of this artist, okay? So I come with, I'm prepared to love this interview, and I love the crazy interviews as much as I love this one. But before I say the name, this interview was, was, again, it was long. It was a three-hour interview. You can do it in parts. I recommend you watch it. I wholly recommend you watch it. But it was so deep and so all about, being an artist's focus, growing as a human being, being a better soul. It was really multi-layered in that level. The, the, the artist was David Lee Roth from Van Halen, man. Like, <laughs> and it was recent, right? Yeah. And he's talking to Joe Rogan. If you look at the Joe Rogan interviews, most of them, if you get the full interview, it's a couple hours. They went three hours. Wow. Because I think even Joe was, wasn't sure what to expect maybe mm-hmm. um, at the beginning and was kind of blown away because uh, – David Lee Roth was the lead singer of Van Halen. 
he was wild and crazy, but super, super intelligent. And, mm-hmm. and you definitely had some toxic toxicity issues, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. He, he took a lot of drugs, but um, he, that never, even when he was doing that, it never stopped him from being this other person that was in the most uh, physically and mentally focused person that you probably might ever meet in your whole life. Um, I mean, David, just, just to give you some background, like they would get off a huge world tour where he's the star, the, the man, the whole thing. And then he would just disappear into the jungle with this group of dudes he called the jungle studs, mm-hmm. or they would climb Mount Everest, which he's done. And he talks about in his biography, uh, you know, frustration when you're trying to tie your shoes at 20,000 feet with no oxygen. 40,000 feet, I think. Or, no, 20,000. 20, 20,000 feet? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. Uh, 40, I, don't I don't know how far 40 is. <laughs> That's what you said off the air. I just trust in you. <laughs> did I say 40,000? I meant 20,000. Yeah, I didn't Google no, 20,000. Is it that? That's the, the oxygen's really low at that point, and yeah. you're moving slow trying to figure this out. And I don't like, why would you do without oxygen? Because I think it's harder without oxygen than yeah. with oxygen. So that's why he did it, you know? And he would go down into South America and the Amazon and stuff and literally disappear. Like they, there was times where they had a big show opportunity come up and they had to send some poor sap from Los Angeles <laughs> down <laughs> into the jungle to find him. you know? It's like romancing the stone trying to find it, David Lee Roth. Exactly. Like he yeah. wasn't really. But some of the stuff I wanted to cover because he really, really had, I mean, there was so many mind blowing moments in this interview, y'all. And I wanted to share it with you because it's the first thing I thought I was like, oh, now I got to go back and listen to this whole damn thing again and take notes because I didn't catch it all. I was uh-huh. so just getting my mind blown. But as I mentioned before, like his mental focus, he's always challenging himself. I think David always had the, and I've, I've spoken to some people who know him really, really well. And he's just always been the kind of guy who's a fan of doing something that scares the Jesus out of him, you know? Yeah. He loves to be scared. He was a runner. He ran a lot. He ran marathons. Uh, he is a rock climber. If you go look at some of the, not so much on the Van Halen videos, but on the David Lee, on, on his personal records, the, especially the first two, there's a couple videos where he is literally like 007 style on the side of a, of like a mountain, like a straight drop, sheer face thing, climbing like mm-hmm. with nothing else, right? Like yeah. He's a martial arts expert in, in Kenjutsu, I think is the way you pronounce it, which is the, so he calls it the master of the six foot staff and the swords. You see some of that in the jump video where he's working with those swords. And, and, and we're going to talk about those swords a little bit too, because he really gets into uh, the dynamics of, excellence and how it requires a team Brent and Mm -hmm. it's he attributes it to these swords and it's that's going to kind of blow your mind a lot of people don't know this but he he also like I said was a mountain climber he climbed Mount Everest I believe he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro he studied calligraphy for 12 months I believe in Japan he spent a lot of time in Japan he wanted to learn how to write Japanese and Mm -hmm. Japanese and and I just immersed himself in the Asian cultures and was able to uh, just talked about that, like the teacher that he had for 10 months who just would say nothing. He was the only guy in the room and the dude would walk over and just look down at what he wrote and pause for a second and say, no, and then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> like, ten, 10 minutes later, he, or 10 months later, he comes over and the, the word he got was better. 
And he's like, wait, what? But I mean, he's, but he talks about all these different things that he did. Uh, One of the other ones, a lot of people don't know this in New York. He's, I think he's 66 now. And at the age of like 52 or 54, he became an EMT. Mm -hmm. Why? And Joe asked him, like, why did you do all this other stuff? Like, what's all that about? And he was like, well, he goes, um, it was about, I just knew it would change me. Hmm. I didn't know how it was going to change you, but I knew it would change me. And so he did it and he did it with 150% moving forward. I think, I think uh, I'm thinking about, Brian, I'm thinking about your episode last week and how we talked about passion versus profit and songwriting. And I think if Hmm. people had the attitude of, you know what, I'm just going to go forth into this because it's going to change me. Yeah. And I don't know how, but uh, you know, I'm going to learn something new and it's up to me whether I feel like it's worth using or not, but at least yeah. you're going to learn something. But I mean, he was there with EMT and, and Joe Rogan was kind of talking to him about, and here's a lesson in humility. This is David Lee Roth. He's like a mega freaking rock star. Yeah. You know? Millions of I mean, records sold. Oh yeah. my gosh. Like the soundtrack to my youth, my probably number one guy for front men, like just yeah. blew my mind. And, and Joe was like, was it weird, like going into the, the firehouse as the EMT, into whatever whatever part of New York you were in? Because he was in the ghetto and he was working night shifts a lot. Mm. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. This wasn't uh, Park Avenue. Right. He said, yeah, it was weird. First of all, I was the oldest guy there. So that was mm-hmm. weird. And he's like, no, I mean, but, you know, because you're David Lee Roth. <laughs> he's like, no, he goes, man, before... He said, before I, I, cause you have to go to school for like a year to learn how to do this, I think. Mm-hmm. And he said, I did that. And he said, before I did that, I wasn't somebody. And I came out and then I was somebody. And then in David Lee Roth fashion, he's like, somebody clean up the damn truck. And that was me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was somebody. Yeah. And he thanked the people. He's like, thank you for those who taught me and tolerated me for the 10 months that changed my life. And I love it. And he just talks about all the things that he did, um, helping people and the, the, the conversations you have to have with people and the, 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 the way that you need to communicate with people. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was, as an artist, see this, he gets into the communication part of it and he's always looking for different ways to communicate with people. And that's really what the artist thing is about. It's what the songwriting thing is about. And again, just if you're new to the show, I always combine the two to me. Mm-hmm. So like Brent, you're an artist. I mean, yeah. Just because you don't sing on the record doesn't mean that there's, it's not mind blowing what you can do. Mm-hmm. So I, I consider them one and the same, but it, and it's about communicating. It's about talking, giving somebody else the feels and, and getting them to understand where you're coming from, whether it's to make them laugh or mm-hmm. to cry or to make them turn their head sideways. Like, this is interesting. What is this with the music or the lyric or whatever to make them think, mm-hmm. And he, and he really kind of gets into this. And what he calls all these different areas where he puts his time and energy into, he calls it cross-training, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like almost like cross-training for your soul. Yeah. So cross-training being training in different disciplines and different position, pursuits or different positions. Yeah. A company yeah. Or something like that. So you're not just in one lane, you're training to do some different events i guess you know if you're in track or something you don't just do the 400 meter dash you're also practicing the hurdles and the uh, right and you're working out in the gym right and then you're mm-hmm. eating right and you're doing all these different things that maybe uh, don't 
necessarily equate to what you think the results should be, but it does. So it's and not it just, you know, I worked on my vocals and I worked on my writing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's doing that. physical stuff. He's doing mental stuff. He always was, mm-hmm. you know, he says to this day, he still takes acoustic guitar lessons, right? Mm. He's the rock star. Does he have yeah. to? No. no. Right? Cause he's got the passion cause he loves it. He's interested in being better at it. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating to me how much they worked. And, and this is another reason why this really touched my soul was just because I see a lot of him and me in the sense of what we had to go through as an, what I had to go through as an artist. But he's like, we work five, six nights a week, four, four, five, 45 minute sets. And wherever we could drive and get a gig within two hours, they all came from Southern California, from Pasadena. He said, then we would do it. And he said, we learned there's a lot of different um, communities, societies in Southern California. And what I loved about it was they played to each of those rooms. Mm Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know, we'd, we'd go into a Spanish-speaking community and, man, they're like, Orale, I want to hear uh, Santana, man, you know? So he's like, okay. So they go into, you know, you got to change all evil ways, baby. Mm-hmm. They would go into, he goes, if you go out to Venice Beach, the surfers, they don't want to hear Santana, they want to hear Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. If you go to someplace like real ritzy, he said, you're going to have to do, you have to tone it down and do acoustic. Mm-hmm. And they would do these different things, but then he was talking about how it helped them grow. It gave them the the background, the cross training that they needed to be as good as they were. They talked about to eat. We had to we had to work, you know. He said, "So boxing for money different than boxing for fun, right?" Like, yeah, yeah. Like you got to go work. And I thought of myself, like, how many times I've gone on stage with a hundred two degree fever? Yeah. Because I loved it. But if we didn't do it, we weren't going to get paid. And if we didn't get paid, we weren't going to eat. So this is what we're doing for the love of the, of the, of the craft, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the want to do it. You've heard the term, Brent, 10,000 hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a Malcolm Gladwell thing, right? That's right. Um, it came from Malcolm Gladwell. Well, he said, you know, that's a real nice way to put it. But he goes, when you're in Japan, he goes, in, in the Asian cultures, the way they put it is you've got to do whatever the craft is 10 hours a day, every single day for 10 years. He goes, mm-hmm. that's about 30,000 hours. Mm-hmm. And he talked about one of the guys uh, that, was, that worked with him as an EMT, who was the flight for life helicopter guy. Mm-hmm. So that guy mentioned him by name. He goes, that's a 40,000 hour man right there. And that's the guy that you want flying the helicopter, right? Heck yeah. Right? <laughs> and so he goes, this is the way you've got to think about your art right? This is how you have to be an artist. Um, he goes, I always love getting ready almost more than the show. Mm-hmm. Right? Cause he goes at the show, he goes, man, the spotlight's on the wrong person. The monitor blows, the guitar players pissed, you know, but there was fun at the photo shoot. There was fun at the band rehearsal getting ready. It's the getting ready that, that you need to focus on and quit worrying about the end result. We always just kind of knew if we were as good as we thought we were, then they come to us. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and, that's what, and that's what happened. And he talked about how they had to win the, the competition part of it, which I think is lost in today's society a lot. Everybody's afraid of competition because it feels bad, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody should get a medal or something like that for just for participating. But he's like, man, because back in the day, he talked about big bands. He goes, you know, big bands have a real square sort of vibe to them because it ended up being elevator music. Yeah. Because you know how cutthroat that was back then? Like, you know, every other week, 
the, they, the bands would have to play off because there's some new cats coming in, man. They wanted to get in on that big band. And so they would say, here you go. You're going to play this piece of music next week. Go practice. Come back. Winner gets the chair. Hmm. And that's what you did. And it was brutal. You had to do it to eat, but that's what made you good, you know? Yeah. And so he's like, we always had to win. Whether it was battle of the bands, we had to win over the club owner. We had to win over the audience. I had, Brent, I had a... um a really killer consultation last week from this artist that I love. I actually love this artist. I think this guy's killer. Like he does it different. It's interesting to me. And he was confiding and, and telling me some, some, you know, some, some seriously private stuff just about him as an artist. He's just being vulnerable, you know? And, mm-hmm. and he's like, man, sometimes I'll be up there and he talked a little bit, but I get pissed off when the audience isn't going the way he wants it to go. Yeah. And I, I checked him into the glass. I was like, that's on you, man. You're right. What are you going to do about it? And he knew. He's like, yeah, I know it's me. And I'm like, yeah, but no buts. Like, no buts. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to be a good artist? Your job is to communicate with them. And if they're not listening to you, then you're not communicating. Yeah. You know, communication is not the uh, intention. Because when everybody gets up on stage, they intend to co- communicate. Mm-hmm. But communication, the d- definition of that is what's being received. Yeah. And if they're not getting it, then it, you're not throwing the ball right. <laughs> yeah. Same way it works in the NFL, right? Aaron Rodgers drops back. Uh, receiver runs a perfect route. Aaron throws the perfect pass, hits the receiver right on the chest, and he doesn't catch it and it falls on the ground. Then that's an incomplete pass. Yeah. Next down goes against the uh, record of the, in the quarterback rating. Like it's on him. Yeah. You've got to make sure that guy gets it. That's why you've got to play for the room, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's that, that communication that they had to learn between going between a, a Spanish-speaking community, say, in the Valley and playing Santana and then going out to a working man party in San Bernardino where they want to hear ZZ Top mm-hmm. and then go to the beach where the, those guys want to hear Aerosmith. Like They knew how to play for the room. They knew that these people need to be communicated differently than, to, than these people. And we're here to communicate, right? Yeah. This one was huge. At one point. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon.
Joe Rogan asked him, man, are you, are you guys ever aware of the, like, the impact that you had on culture? Because Joe graduated, he's a year older than me. He's like, I graduated in 1985, man. And he's like, mm-hmm. do your Van Halen logo was on everybody, including my notebook, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going through high school. Yeah. He goes, and he just starts to go off. And Dave was like, yeah, yeah, I get it, man. Like I was like the soundtrack of your youth. He's like, yeah. He goes, but do you, I mean, do you get that? He's like, he said the impact on society. He said, that's the result. Mm-hmm. The verb, that's contribution. Hmm. I'm going to say that so again. What, the yeah. impact is the, was the result of what they did. But the verb, what they did, was contribute. Right? So, so it's like focus on the process. Yeah, focus on what you're going to contribute and how you're yeah. going to contribute it. So we talked about cross-training, right? We talked about how they had to play for different rooms. He's like, he's like it, it shows in our music, bro. He's like, listen to Jamie's Crying, right? The beginning of Jamie's Crying, the, the drum lick at the very beginning. He goes, that's Ricky Ricardo, man. <laughs> Everybody asks me what my favorite Cuban is. They think I'm going to answer with something about a cigar. I say, it's Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the rumba like listen to it you know yeah. that's, not, that's not rock and roll but we made it rock and roll there's a little bit of me everywhere you know yeah the middle break and dance the night away that's the cha-cha mm-hmm. they were getting into artists and just kind of talking about different kinds of artists and and they hit something that i thought was really profound and they're saying you know you kind of need to know that there's different kinds of artists and what kind of artist that you are well, he started off talking about Rod Stewart. He's like, you know, Rod Stewart is probably the gold standard, right? Like that voice, that personality, that everything all together. He was an amazing artist. And, and mm-hmm. you can sing a Rod Stewart song, but there's something missing. It's not Rod Stewart. And I think the conversation was born from Joe Rogan bringing up uh, Sammy Hagar and what changed there. And he said, well, he, he, Joe said it was good. He goes, it was good. And David's like, you bet it was good. It was really good, but it was just different. And he said, yeah. And, and I always joke about it being using the David Spade joke. It wasn't Van Halen. It was Van Hagar, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he said, but then David points out, he's like, man, have you ever noticed like Dave, you know, all Sammy songs are about love. You know, love comes walking in, you know, is this love? Like he goes, but it, then what am I writing about? Ain't talking about love. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> what am I running with? I'm running with the devil. Like I'm going another way. Then Joe asked him if he had heard the new singer for Journey. And Dave said, he said, yeah. And the dude's like a Filipino guy that got like this gig. He didn't speak a lick of English, but he sounds just like, just like um, Steve Perry. Wow. And um, I don't know if you've heard him and I'll do, but it's like. No, I haven't heard the new version. Eerie. But, um, and he said, you know, Steve Perry's like a really good singer, but he just, he's like this, this eloquent sound that, that, that comes with this thing, it, did, it wasn't much of a personality kind of a thing, right? That wasn't mm-hmm. his gig. You've got to understand the difference between the two. He talked about it in terms of actors. He's like, there's personalities and then there's, there's really, really good actors, right? And they're both very good at what they do, but you have to know the difference. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, I, I, he didn't mention this in the interview, but I thought of Burt Reynolds. I mean, mm-hmm. what acting gigs? Burt, Burt, later in his life, Burt Reynolds did some better acting, but... Yeah. I was perfectly happy to pay to see Bert do Bert in any movie that he was in. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
it was just another version of himself. Yeah. Same thing with like Jerry Reed, you know, like the, he was always mm. just kind of Jerry Reed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like you want that flavor. John Wayne is kind of John Wayne in most of his roles. Elvis yeah. in those movies was Elvis in those movies. That's right. Kind That's of, right. Yeah. He started out talking about, it. he's like, the difference is like, imagine you're sitting in a bar and the Lone Ranger comes and sits down next to you. Yeah, exactly. He starts telling you a story, you know, like uh, it was, you know, a hundred years ago, it was a very dark and stormy night. And he's like, he can do, he can talk about it all he wants, but you're never going to get around the fact that, man, I'm sitting here talking to the Lone Ranger. Like this. (laughs) Right. Uh, He goes, but then if you have like a real actor come and sit down next to you and tell you that story, you know, Eight mm-hmm. minutes in, you're bawling like you're you're on the edge of your seat because they're really delivering the story. It's different, but they're both impactful, right? Yeah. And he joked about it when he was saying, um, talking about like Denzel Washington becomes an astronaut, and and he's like, yeah, that's like the coolest astronaut you ever met. You're totally into the story. He goes, but if you know David Lee Roth puts on a freaking spacesuit, he's like, hey, what's Dave doing in a spacesuit? All <laughs> <laughs> right. Like they're not going to buy it, right? Because he's the personality. I've heard a, a thing. It's funny. I've heard dueling quotes from, I think, Mick Jagger and Conway Twitty. Mm-hmm. Conway Twitty said, it's not about the singer. It's about the song. Right. And I think Mick Jagger is quoted as saying, it's not about the song. It's about the singer. Well, it, well it's, dude, it's so funny you brought that up because they got into that because they, uh, in terms of, uh, they were attributing it in terms of comedy, right? Mm-hmm. He was saying... Is, is it about the joke or is it about the comedian, David said. And Joe Rogan's yeah. like, oh, no, it depends, man. Because Joe's goes, a comedian, so he's... Okay, yeah, so he's world. getting into his art there, exactly. Yeah. And he's like, you know, some, some comedians absolutely need good jokes. And he goes, some, he goes look at Mitch Hedberg. He goes, it, wow. none of that, that doesn't work unless you're Mitch. <laughs> I don't like, even know who that is. Oh, dude, he, he's the greatest guy that, like, never happened. I think he succumbed to a heroin addiction and and died way too early but people were freaking out on him because he's Mm. so like just go go to youtube and see some of that stuff and it's like it's crazy it's funny but it only works with him like he's the joke like he's in on it you know Mm -hmm. i think um i think um chris farley was that way a lot you know Mm -hmm. chris farley was just so funny yeah. Right. Like whatever he did. Was, and so much his physicality that was just. Yeah. And Mitch wasn't <clears throat> physical at all. Mitch was as stoic as you could possibly get. Mm-hmm. But just the joke, like, I, I can't even remember how, like, it's so. And if it I matter it, if you told me, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, it would be like, wah, 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 this guy's not funny. But when he says it, it's hysterical. Yeah. And so the same thing, like David Lee Roth can get away with doing certain things that, 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 you know, Jennifer Lopez isn't right. Like she right. can't be that person. You've got to know your lane. You've got to know who you are as an artist and, and, and tackle that. He talked about being at the base camp at Mount Everest. And he said, mm-hmm. I read this, there was a, a anonymous poem that was inscribed that said, go climb treasure mountain. Do not return empty handed. Where are you now? Mm-hmm. And it was like, Oh man, so good. Right. Just do it. Just climb, climb the mountain and you're going to come back with something. Right. It's just about the work. You have to do the work. Yeah, You have to do the work. It's about getting together with and doing the grind as an artist, as a writer, as a songwriter. You know, we talked a little bit about that last week with you on your episode. Mm-hmm. Joe asked him, like, when you wrote one Running With The Devil, like, how'd you know when you were done? Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and the answer that David gave was, it's not when you're done, it's how'd you get there? <laughs> <laughs> 
and he goes through this whole sort of David Lee Rothish explanation, but he's like, look, man, it took 18 minutes to write running with devil. Joe Rogan's like, no way. He's like, yeah, oh, God. but, but, but my whole life plus 18 minutes, which you and I have said before, yeah. it's like all that work we did before. He said, you know, Van Halen took five and a half years before we got a shot. Springsteen was in the club for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Before he got his shot. The Beatles in Hamburg were there for years, you know, and that's what made them amazing was that regular grind. That's why we put the Lonely Highway Boys on Broadway. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't think that was a smart idea because, like, some people never leave Broadway. Like, it's some kind of weird black hole, and it is, but only if the person chooses it to be. Right, yeah. To me, you know, I, I think they're in complete control of that. You know, he was talking about just being unforgiving about your art. He said, when you do that kind of grind, when you're doing it that hardcore five nights a week, he said, what you learn from playing the clubs and being, what do you learn from playing in the clubs and being in the grind? Like, you know, my string just broke. My nose is running. My girlfriend just ran off with two guys, not one. You know, I'm underpaid. I'm disrespected. I got bad feet. And my corns work, and I'm late. And uh, but but you'll play. Yeah, you will play because you have to. It's the way that you're going to eat. And and he said, just as you would expect that surgeon to perform at four in the morning. And he's like, hey, this is my baby girl here. Yeah. You know, and you want that person to have that surgeon to have that kind of dedication to his art mm-hmm. at that moment. And why would you think that your art was any different? Well, why wouldn't you approach it the same way? Yeah, going back, to, uh, I think I quoted it earlier, Stephen Pressfield. Maybe I did. I know I did last episode, but and I'm thinking the War of Art. He talks about you're already a professional in other areas of your life. When you go to your day job or you go to school, do you just not go that day if you're just not feeling it? If it's yeah. rainy outside, if you had a fight with your wife or your husband or whatever, no, you show up and you dig your ditch, you answer your phones, you do whatever it is you got to do, whatever your gig is, right? You go climb the high line, the, you know, electric pole and put people's power back on. Yeah. You're already professional. You're already trained to show up kind of no matter what's going on. So you just need to apply that to what, to your art. Yeah. Show up anyway. Show up <clears throat> and do the work. And the, move, the needle moves because you get better at the art. And the only way to mm-hmm. get better at the art is by doing more art. Yeah. By doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. And, and, and by the way, on our description of art here, not only am I talking about making the art, but we're talking about how you promote the art because that's also an art form. That's mm-hmm. another form of communication. That's, that's promotion is getting inside the mind of a consumer with your story and letting them know, like, this is worth it. You should check this out. And then you're going to earn the right for them to you're going to earn the opportunity for them to listen to the music and you better blow them away right mm-hmm. there. It better be, it better be the good stuff on some lyric idea. They talked about lyrics and, and if you go back and listen to some of the lyrics that David Lee Roth has, I mean, this is clearly different than a country music lyric, mm. but there's stories that are told and, but he does it differently than all the, the Molly Cruz and the, yeah. Yeah, it's different, and it's his own thing, and in, in, in much in a different way. But it's kind of like separate, like the way Steven Tyler did it, right? Where it was like a sort of rap, tongue in cheek kind of a thing, a bunch of rhymes, but it was a little dirty, and it was kind of cool, and at the same time. But he talked about banking your ideas. He goes, "I think about it like debate. You, you gotta when you're going to debate somebody, you gotta bank all these ideas so you have these different tangents that you can go on in the debate." If if uh, 
when somebody brings up an alternative point of view and you've got you've to debate them the other way because you've got to do the same thing with lyrics. Mm-hmm. So if, if you walk into a writing session and <clears throat> you haven't done any of your cross training, you haven't prepared, and, you, and you're going to try to create the lyrics right there, he's like nine times out of ten, you're going to write the moon in June. Yeah. You know? At what time? I'm thinking noon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, put your hands in the air because you just don't care. Like he, he's like, he goes, but when you, when you bank your ideas and I call, I call this differently. I just call it like honoring the muse mm-hmm. to me, like banking the ideas is, is the same lyrically speaking as what Keith Richards did in the stones. If you heard the story about how he wrote satisfaction, Mm. It came to him at three o'clock in the morning yeah. and he woke up and he had a little tape recorder right by his bed. And he wrote that. Dan, 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 and then he went back to bed and then he woke up the next day. And remembered doing it yeah. <clears throat> and it was there. So to me, what he did was he learned to honor the muse because it comes when it comes. Right. And yes. if you don't, honor it and write it down or record it, right, drop everything you're doing right then and there and, and put that somewhere so that you can come back to it later, then you're going to forget about it, right? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was looking through uh, my Evernote on my phone the other night and was laying in bed and I was looking through and um, Emily was on her Netflix, you know, so I was looking, wanted to be creative or whatever and looking through my titles some of which, you know, cause kind of, I capture them in the wild on my phone on Evernote. So it's just an app on my phone, have a file song titles or ideas, and I'll just, you know, add new stuff to it. And there's a one that I'd completely forgotten about. It hadn't been put over to my main list yet. I'm like, Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I'm not sure when I came up with it. It was a while back. It's been a few, several months. I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. That would have been gone, but I got it. It's not yeah. going anywhere. You know, yeah. write that sucker because it's good. There you go, right? And so sometimes when you honor the muse right then and there, the bank, it means the one bank thing. is where the money is, Johnny. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then, but then you come back, like this used to happen to me. I come back and all of a sudden it's hit me, like it's giving me a different kind of feels. Oh, I've had that but, for sure. But just as powerful, right? And, and, and just as strong. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I've had, you know, I, I keep my hook book and my list that's been going for over 20 years now that, you know, I just erase this title off there if it's, if I write it or if it's become just a massive hit for someone else. And I'm just like, I'm not going to write that, but usually it's only take them off if I write them. So it's over 4,000 titles long. Right. Wow. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, because artists change trends, change their, their titles that I wrote down. I was like, I'm not down this. I'm not feeling it. I never wrote it until years later, maybe a new type of artist comes along. You know, yeah. I've had that specifically with um, back when Colt Ford, you know, I mean, he's doing his thing. And so more of the country, straight up country rap kind of thing. I'm like, oh, I got this title. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, if I think about it in terms of him, I can write that now. When we wrote, we demoed it and, that, and pitched it to him and stuff. But it's like, oh, new artist comes along, trends change. And you think about it for this kind of co-write or that kind of co-write and this type of artist who wasn't around five years ago when you got the idea, all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, this makes perfect sense for that. That's hot. Let's do that. Yeah. See, I love that. And yeah, bank them, sayings, slogans, expressions you hear from somebody else, uh, Mm -hmm. a storyline. Another songwriting friend of mine, Michael Garbin, who's wrote like, I mean, he wrote Waiting for Tonight for Jennifer Lopez, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's over 30 million records. Not bad. Not bad. Poor guy needs a hug. Yeah. One of the things that he does, one of the secrets he has, I'm going to share with you. You ready Mm -hmm. for this? I'm leaning in. Okay. 
So I, I, I tried this, not because I wanted to write a song, but just because I wanted to, to consume this content in a different way. He's like, I will sit down and watch sitcoms on TV, mm-hmm. but I'm not watching the sitcom to watch the sitcom. I'm solely focused in on the script yeah, and what they're saying mm-hmm. and how they say it. And then I can find something from there to be a little twist. So mm-hmm. that just happened, right? Go with that. And then when I did that one time, I was like, Seinfeld or something. I was like, oh, dude, it was gold. Like, <laughs> it's like, gold, Jerry. Gold. Yeah. It was yeah. ridiculous. Like how many, like one episode. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like this is, this is insane. Mm-hmm. Different ways that you could go. Just talking about Joe Rogan being where he came from MMA, he was an MMA fighter. And then he kind of became the voice of MMA and, and mm-hmm. is the guy that he's, he's announcing the fights and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so he's like Howard Cosell of MMA. Yeah. But David says to Joe Rogan, he's like, man, you wouldn't step into a ring without a massive vocabulary of moves, right? Yeah. Like you can't go into a writing session without that same kind of preparation. You're a fool if you do. Yeah. You're going to get eaten up. One of the other things I want to touch on before we end this, I really, so I can't remember which number it is on the interview, but if you just go to YouTube and Joe Rogan and David Lee Roth, you'll, you'll pull it up. And it's a fascinating interview. And it's really, I mean, he's completely sincere and in the moment. And it's super, super fascinating. Like this guy's mm-hmm. had a crazy fascinating life. But yeah. he talks about, I think they call him the katana. Forgive me if I'm. The sword. That That's the sword. Yeah. yeah. He talks about specialization and the difference between being good and being great and being um, unforgettable and uh, having that kind of presence. He's like, these katanas, this is a thousands-year-old process of making these swords. Mm -hmm. And he goes, did you know that the guy who forges the sword is different from the guy who sharpens the sword? who's different from the guy who makes the handle for the sword, who's different than the guy who wraps the handle mm-hmm. for the sword, who's different from the guy who makes the little pin that makes it all come together. Mm. All different guys mm-hmm. with different disciplines. disciplines that are passed down from thousands of years of generations and how to do this this way. And as such, these swords when they're done, go right into museums. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're incredibly sharp, right? Mm-hmm. Like the kind where you can throw up the, what's that floaty material, like with a scarf that just sort of wafts down over yeah. a sword that just cuts in half. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the cartoons when they pluck a hair and they throw it up and it lands yeah. on the blade Wing. and splits the yeah. hair. Right, exactly, yeah. like that sharp, you know? Yeah. To me, what that spoke to me was just about the need for, specialization in a team in your music career. If you're Mm -hmm. trying to be an artist, you need to have a team. If you try to do everything yourself, something's going to suffer. Yeah. I mean, one, Mm. one person, every generation is Prince. (laughs) So freaking good that they can do everything. He can play the drums. He can play the bass. He can play the bass better than his bass player. The drums better than his drummer. He can sing better. He does all the writing. He's the performer. He can do everything and gets a deal at 17 years old and is legendary for kicking the Warner Brothers A&R guy out of the studio at 17 years old. When the guy asks one question, he's like, get out. (laughs) (laughs) And he knew how to make records. I mean, that 
<laughs> it's Prince and we're everybody else. Okay. Right, exactly. Take on some people in this world. There's Prince and there's everybody else. And there's right. everybody else. That's right. And we need the time. We need to put in the work and you need a team. Like you're not going to be, I've, I've had more conversations in the last three months with artists who are really, really good artists, Brent, that are touring 200 plus days a year. They built up their craft and they've built up their business enough. And now they're not getting to the next level. And why? Because they're spending too much time on all these other things, on yeah. marketing, on promo. On working in their business. You're working in their working business. on their business. Yeah. Exactly. How many conversations have you and I had about that? Too many. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you constantly remind me. Have about it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always reminding you, you know, because I forget. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to get back to the future and what we're going to be doing. But yeah. in the beginning, you need to just make sure that you're getting the right education. I think that's what I see. David has a thirst for knowledge. I think he has a thirst for excellence and mm-hmm. he doesn't get in it, doesn't do anything half-assed. Like he, he's 100%. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to be, try to be the best at it. Yeah, Man, you see just this, the athleticism, the, the athletic endeavors he went out on, the mental endeavors he's, he's gone out on, the artistic endeavors that are aside from the music that he went out on and what they did. It's no surprise that they came as far as they came. And if you apply this kind of a thing to your, this mindset to your career, things will change. Make sure that, that, uh, that you have the time to um, do the social media. Like if you're not doing the, the process right, if you're not spending 90% of your time and 90% of your budget promoting your music, then nobody's going to hear it. Mm-hmm. If you're just doing it for passion, then God bless. Having it be done should be enough. There should be no reason that you need anything else. But if you want right. to be heard, if you want to be validated, if you want to have an audience, then you're going to have to promote it. That's going to take a more, way more time than it takes to make the art. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then making a new piece of art isn't going to, it's going to be in front of the same people that you had here. So you're going to have right. to do something different and, and, and then attack it with the kind of focus and the kind of energy that David Lee Roth did in everything in his life, including drugs. Like he, <laughs> he, he had the same focus and energy on that too, but I don't know how the man ran marathons, you know, back right, yeah. but anyway, guys, well, that's all I really want to say about that. It's a really a fascinating interview. There's, there's a lot of stuff I didn't cover. As I said, it was a three hour interview and just the conversations they had were like really, really good. He's super smart dude. So there's, I promise you, I don't care how smart you are. There's going to be moments in an interview. You're like, what the hell is he talking about? And then you're like, Oh, and then, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, that was brilliant. Like he had you leaning yeah. in like he knows exactly what the hell he's doing even as a storyteller you know like it's, <laughs> he's so good but let us help you with that let us help you with some of the marketing let us help you with t- at least teaching you how to do be, be more efficient be more of a ninja if you will at, at your social media if you've only got limited time and limited resources you really need to make sure that the time that you spend is effective and you're not doing the same old thing to the same old people so mm-hmm. um just you know we are available for consultation email us at info at daredevilproduction.com production is singular again there is no s info at daredevilproduction.com put consultation into the subject line of the email we'll get back to you and schedule something and it's it's some you're going to see a change you're going to see results you're going to see the needle move and get to move forward with that so with that guys that brings us to the end of another climb episode make sure you join the climb community we'll let you in but you got to ask first make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you're getting all the episodes one two three as they pop in there 
please take 30 seconds, leave a rating and review, five-star rating if you can, if you like us that much. Mm -hmm. And then finally, share it. Let other people know about it. Share it on social media. Tell a friend about it. Make sure they go see it. Pull it up on their phone and say, dude, listen to this. It's going to help you. That's why we do this. We're here, to, we're here for one reason. We exist because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.